0: Hello, I'm Damien Venuto, it's April 21st, and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. This week, a worker died in a fall at the ports of Auckland, the latest in a string of casualties since 2017. This comes after a review last year revealed major systemic problems in the health and safety processes at the port. So why does this keep happening and how much pressure is on the new chief executive to ensure it doesn't continue? Today, I'm joined by Herald senior writer Tom Delane to discuss what it'll take for workers to feel safe at New Zealand's biggest port. Tom, to start, we've had a report of another death at the Auckland port. What exactly happened and who's involved?
1: So early on Tuesday morning, just shortly after 9am, there was a report of an incident at the ports of Auckland, which was a short time later confirmed by police to be a fatal accident. Later in the day, a little bit more detail was released by the contracting company from which the worker worked for, Wallace Investments, that it was a fall from height and the worker had died. We identified the deceased worker as a 26-year-old South Auckland man named... Atiroa Tuati. He was a new father as of October last year. So it's a very sad situation. One of the colleagues filmed a really sort of harrowing scene really where a group of colleagues were around around the body as it was being moved to a transport van. They did a haka. In terms of the accident itself, it happened on a Singaporean container ship. That's understood. Obviously there's two there's investigations into the specifics of how it all happened. We don't have much detail at this point. But the Maritime Union of New Zealand's national secretary, Craig Harrison, was speaking to various media yesterday and he gave a little bit of context at least around the, the situation. It was he was questioned about, you know, it was quite drizzly on Tuesday morning when it happened. And He sort of dismissed that as anything particularly out of the ordinary. He said that, you know, it rains throughout the winter. They work seven days a week up there, up to winds of 40 knots, which I don't think this was exceeded that. So he was sort of dismissive of weather being a factor and also didn't really want to get into whether it was anything around a harness culture being an issue. He just acknowledged that it's, you know, obviously a very dangerous environment at at heights, you know. And he did also clarify that this was... The Wallace Investments Company, he was a stevedore for Wallace Investments. He wasn't a Ports of Auckland staffer. So there is a bit of um, distinction to some of the other deaths of the last five years.
0: Now, Tom, the scrutiny on the situation isn't by accident. It isn't vindictive in any way. The Ports of Auckland have had a legacy of issues over the last few years. Now, this isn't the first death we've seen there. Could you just run us through how many other deaths we've seen since 2017?
1: A pilot boat, which was operated by ports workers, accidentally struck and killed an ocean swimmer. That was the first incident involving the ports of Auckland in recent years. And in 2020, they were fined $242,000 for failing to comply with health and safety for that incident. In 2018, there was a 23-year-old died at the ports after a straddle carrier he was driving tipped over. And in August 2020, a father of seven, another stevedore, was crushed to death by a container ship at the ports. Three deaths in a matter of three or four years, which then instigated a safety review, Independence, which was commissioned by Auckland Mayor Goff, which was delivered basically 12 months ago. And that found numerous negative findings about the safety conditions at the ports. Management and frontline leaders need to focus
0: on safety as a core value the dysfunctional relationship between the maritime union and the ports management needs to be replaced with one based on trust.
1: Auckland Mayor Phil Goff commissioned the independent review following the three deaths between 2017 and August 2020. But probably the most damning finding was that, and this is a quote, elements of the workforce who undertake high-risk roles, mainly terminal operations, believe that executive management prioritise profitability and productivity over health and safety, and that this is reinforced at the operational leadership level. So basically, a trade-off between costs and safety, which is a damning statement. When he delivered the report, Goff said that there'd been a number of new management appointments and to the ports of Auckland and the board would hopefully enact the wanted changes. But he also vowed to replace ports of Auckland board members and the whole board if they don't improve things. He said that his role was to hold the ports of Auckland board and management accountable to improving safety. And a year on that hasn't happened despite the resignation of Tony Gibson in May last year. It's a bit hard to tell where to go to from here, I think, for the new CEO.
0: So, Tom, if you look at the criticism that's been levelled by full Goff at the ports of Auckland, is that finger-pointing justified, given that Auckland Council wholly owns ports of Auckland?
1: Yeah, well, I think Goff was doing all he reasonably could to put pressure on the ports of Auckland management to change things. And public censure is really all he could practically do outside of replacing board members. So while the port company is wholly owned by Auckland Council, it operates under the umbrella of the Port Companies Act, meaning council can't cut across operational management of the port. I think there are other factors in play in all of this. I think Gibson had a fairly nonplussed attitude to council over the years and has not exactly played ball with some of the PR messaging. I remember personally speaking to him years ago about roadworks on Key Street, which leads into the ports, and he was just openly said to me on the phone that he hadn't been informed of any of these details about around construction dates, which didn't go down well with council.
0: Now, on the topic of Gibson, he's been gone for almost a year, but now we've seen another death. Does this suggest that the issues at the port run far deeper than anyone at those executive ranks?
1: Gibson was open at the height of the scrutiny that was on him post the report at, You know, in autumn last year, the, the safety issues at the port were cultural ones that weren't necessarily easy to fix. He highlighted the fact that their workforce had a large contingent of Pacifica and Maori workers, and that there were concerns that culturally those demographics may be too shy to proactively raise safety issues to management, even though I guess that the chief executive would dictate the culture of the organisation, I mean, that's the theory. Clearly, those kind of cultural issues can be very deep-seated and and difficult to change, In terms of deeper problems within the ports of Auckland, I think it's obvious that the problem was always wider than the chief executive's influence. The criticism of the CEO, I mean, it's always going to happen, especially when you have a role of that prominence. I mean, he was on an 800 grand salary, Gibson. So you take on that responsibility, and I guess the new CEO will do the same, even though he's only been in the job for two weeks. fairness around the scrutiny of Gibson is an interesting one. He has a reputation of being slightly uncooperative with the unions, so that there's possibility that they wanted him gone and, you know, even Goff himself was accused of being too bullying Gibson which he denied and that he was just representing the interests of the council owned asset which they 100% own.
0: I believe that you have had systemic failure in terms of monitoring
1: and enforcing safety rules. Now, those accidents was another factor that slowed the port down and and stopped work on the port for a period of time. And I've said in no uncertain terms that that's got to change.
0: Tom, on the topic of Gibson previously saying that a lot of the cultural issues come down to the Maori and Pacifica communities being shy and not speaking up when they have problems. Isn't that a little bit a case of passing the buck to the workforce rather than management taking responsibility of
1: defining what the culture is within a workforce? When Tony Gibson was, under the height of scrutiny, there was a a letter written by former union leader Shane Tapor, as well as Auckland councillor Efeso Collins and Auckland Council independent Maori statutory board member Tal Henare, who are all calling for Gibson to resign. Henare addressed Gibson's claims around you know the cultural issues that they face around Pacifica and Maori workers being shy, reluctant to proactively raise safety issues as as a cop out. He was calling for I think, more specific roles perhaps within the, the management of the port and to engage with those communities.
0: Roger Gray is only two weeks into his massive job as the new chief executive of the Auckland port, how much pressure is there on him to ensure that the cultural issues at the port change and it becomes a safer environment for workers?
1: Yeah, there'll be massive pressure on him, considering Tony Gibson was the person everyone seemed to want gone and lumped with a lot of the problems of the port, and now the same thing essentially has happened. You've had this tragic death of a worker under new leadership, which suggests that there are these deeper seated issues, perhaps detached from the CEO, but I mean, something has to be done, I think. There has been calls from the Maritime Union for a national inquiry into port safety, I think broader than the ports of Auckland might be a national inquiry. The union representatives who were very vocally against Gibson will give the new CEO a chance to try to implement some safety changes.
0: Last year, the the Maritime Union called for an end to graveyard shifts. These are 12-hour shifts that people are forced to work at the ports of Auckland. The problem is that when you're from a vulnerable group, it's incredibly difficult to opt out of those agreements. So what does it say when you have such a big imbalance between the executive and their workforce, which they're then making work these 12-hour shifts? Like, What does that mean?
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting, the, the working conditions, because I know after the last death before this mm-hmm. in, in in 2020, there was a reduction, I think, in around 14% in the hours, and that was negotiated by the Maritime Union. And even when that happened, there was a lot of blowback on how this was compromising the ability to get through cargo ships, container ships, and there was a huge demand and sort of by New Zealand businesses. That was two years ago. I mean, everyone's aware of the supply chain demands that COVID, you know, thrown up at a global level. So I'd say there'd be a huge tension between the unions and, and the management of the port to keep the workflow up.
0: What do you think's gonna happen at the port in the coming days, weeks, and months? And more importantly, what happens if we see another death in 2022?
1: It's very difficult to see what the next step is, you know, in terms of they have this new CEO, they've had another death. I can't see, aside from this national inquiry, I can't see what they can logistically or organisationally implement immediately that's going to at least pacify things on a PR front. You would, I would think in terms of politically, you've got the unions and... Council, they were essentially pushing, definitely the unions were pushing for Gibson to go. They won't be throwing strong accusations at management, I don't think, at least in the short term. I think they'll give the new CEO, Roger Gray, a bit of time. It'll be interesting to see whether the National Inquiry, whether that's a practical thing that they can do so. But I would say that aside from the investigation into this incident specifically, it's hard to see what in the short term can be done.
0: Cheers for your time today, Tom. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Front Page. You can read more about this and other stories in the New Zealand Herald online at nzherald.co.nz or tune in to news bulletins across the NZME network. With thanks to our producer and editor, Sean D. Wilson, and executive producer Ethan Souls. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts and tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.